Hello, hello, hello. This is Abby Johnson, and you are listening to the podcast Mistakes Out Loud. I'm so glad to have you with us for our third show. And uh, Sunday is Mother's Day. I don't know if this will be, this will probably be out after Sunday, so Mother's Day will have passed. But one of the things that, um, that I thought would be really interesting for us to talk about uh, today, of course, motherhood. But in particular, in particularly, I, I thought it would be interesting maybe for us to talk about what it's like to be a single mom in today's society. What it's like to be a single mom in uh, the pro-life community and, and more of a conservative community. Um, you know, we hear all the time that, you know, we want to support the traditional family, mom, dad, kid. Um, but I think there's a, there's a sort of a fine line to walk there because sure, yes, we, we want to support those values. We, we think that that's best, but that's not always the hand that life deals us. And so in those situations, you know, we still want to come across as being life affirming. So the woman who gets pregnant and she's not married, um, you know, what do we say to her? Well, you know, really to be super successful, you would do this if you were, you know, you would only have a kid if you were married. Um, you know, is that really true? Or, you know, single moms are successful. I, my, my, mother-in-law, uh, Doug's mom, uh, was a single mom. Doug's father ran out on them whenever he was very young. Um, she ended up going to college. She finished her degree. She, uh, is a very strong, uh, woman, a Christian woman and, you know, got married several years later, remarried, uh, to Doug's father who ended up adopting him. But, you know, there is sort of this perception that, success equals husband, wife, baby. And I think that we can, we can, you know, look at that several different ways, but, um, we need to encourage moms to choose life, even if they're not in that sort of traditional family unit. Um, but still seeing their children as a blessing and still encouraging them in that way. So I'm not a single mom. Uh, I never have been, but I have two good friends uh, who have been down that road, and uh, they're they're here with us today. And I'm really, I really have nothing to say about this. So this is really more them um, talking about their experiences. But uh, so my two friends are Laura and Monica, and uh, they each have different stories and and different stories of where they are today. Um, but I thought I would just sort of let them share and let them talk about what life uh, is like as, as a single mom, uh, what single parenthood is like. Um, and we can talk about all kinds of things. We can talk about what it's like to date as a single parent, um, you know, challenges within church communities, um, the isolation that sometimes single parents feel. Um, and there's got to be some pressure too. Um, that, you know, am I doing, am I doing this right? Am I do, you know, cause I'm, 
I'm a mom and there's not a dad there. So, you know, is my child going to lack something because there's not a constant presence of a father or, um, there, there's gotta be a little bit of that too. So anyway, we're going to talk about all that. So, uh, first Laura, Hi. you, you got to get right up on it, right up on it here. Okay. I'm here. Like, see how close my mouth is? Yes. Okay, good. Okay. So, <laughs> so it feels like you're like on a date with the microphone, basically. Okay. So, um, so Laura is currently a single mom. Yes. Um, Laura is Catholic. Uh, Laura is how old? 33. 33. She's single looking to mingle. <laughs> So any Catholic men out there interested, she's available in Austin. Okay. I just want to get a plug. Hey, Catholic match or mistakes out loud. It it can work. Either one can work. All right. So, um, so, okay. So Laura, tell us a little bit about your story. You have an amazing son. Um, and so tell, tell us a little bit about your story and, and all of this. Sure. Well, I, I, first off, I'm thank you for having me. And I mean, the timing could not be more appropriate being that it's Mother's Day, because as you know, Monica, every Mother's Day, these feelings come up of, you know, just like, man, some mother out there is going to get flowers and their little kid's going to write a card and it's going to say, love dad and their kid's name and we appreciate you. And I've never gotten that. <laughs> so um, obviously Mother's Day is a really sensitive time for me. Um, but just to give you a little bit of background, um, you know, things are different nowadays, thankfully, um, through a lot of healing and a lot of time. I've been a single mom for 12 years and, um, my son is 12 years old. I had an unplanned pregnancy when I was in college. Um, so back then, um, I had dated this, um, young man. We were high school sweethearts and we dated for about five years, and he went right after 9-11, he had um, enrolled in the Army, and 9-11 happened. And I remember that day very vividly, and we each knew, okay, you're going to be deployed. <clears throat> so he got deployed um, overseas. You know, we were in this, you know, long-distance writing letter relationship, and he came back a different person, completely different. Um, he had post-traumatic stress. I didn't know what it was at the time, but it was post-traumatic stress. It was, um, you know, probably a lot of these symptoms that, you know, you have, it was the Iraq war. So he was one of the first ones deployed in the 101st airport. And so, you know, I didn't know anything about PTSD or what it was like um, to have a boyfriend in the army um, that had been overseas. And so I was devastated because I think, I think my one flaw was wrapping up my whole life into the possibility of what my future would look like with this man. And so when you do that, when you have all of your hopes and dreams and this is what's going to happen and we're going to get married. And then he came back and was like, no, I don't want to get married. I'm going to move to Ohio. And you know, I really don't want to see you again at all. It's just a completely different devastating experience for me. And so out of that pain, you know, here you rebound relationships, right? So I was walking on campus and they were doing some interviews and happened to, you know, meet this nice looking young man and we hit it off and we started talking and, you know, my potential future husband had left, you know, he moved to Ohio. I don't want to see you again. And, 
um, I would, it was a very traumatic time for me. I was, you know, alone and lonely and I hit it off with this young man in college. And <laughs> I just remember feeling the pressure of, no, I shouldn't. But he kept saying, yes, we should. <laughs> and lo and behold, things happened. And I, I will say to this day, and it's kind of funny, it's like if it wasn't for, you know, him, me, the Lord, and vodka, my son wouldn't be here. <laughs> so, uh, which is true. It's true. Um, sad, but true. And so, I mean, we've all been to college, you know, it was, I wasn't like wild party or anything like that, but you know, I just got, you know, we all can go down a path that we're not meant to go down. So, um, you know, we were hanging out at bars and, you know, I just, it hit me one day, like, this is not the guy I want to be with. Like, this is not what the Lord has for me. I need to get out of this mentality of trying to, you know, fix one pain with another pain and, and just get out of that. So I said, I'm never calling him again. Never. So I didn't. Month later, you know, my period hadn't come. <laughs> and I find myself staring at a pregnancy test um, with a positive reading and just devastated. And, you know, back then, you know, cell phones and all that technology wasn't as, you know, like it is now. So I, where did I go? I went to the phone book and they're up looking up abortions under A, you know, abortion providers and where's my local, I mean, that's the first thought. I don't know why. I mean, I was raised in a Christian home, but to me, it was like, I don't want my parents to find out. They will kill me. Um, I don't want to have this baby with this man that I, that I barely know that I was just trying to kind of a band-aid for, you know, all of my hopes and dreams that came crashing down. And, um, so I, you know, called a girlfriend up and we went together and, you know, I went to the clinic and, um, it was, it was a tough time for me. It was a tough time. I mean, I got the information. I was in college. I was like, I'm never going to be able to finish college. If I have this baby, um, no man is ever going to love me if I have this baby. And I mean, to this day, I still struggle with those feelings. Cause I mean, I'm on year 12, you know, I know some single moms that have been able to find, you know, a new husband and get remarried and, you know, have that relationship shortly after having her their child. But for me, you know, um, some of those feelings still exist because, you know, after a certain amount of time, you can feel forgotten. You can feel those feelings. So anyways, um, back to the clinic experience, I was, you know, asked to see the ultrasound. I want to know what it looked like because, you know, I'm a college student. I'm like in biology class. So let, me, let me see what it looks like. And, you know, just this little, just this little circle attached to me. And the whole time I was thinking, wow, you know, it didn't have a name. It needs me. <laughs> like, it needs me. It, it is literally attached to me. I mean, which is the most obvious thing in the world. But when you're staring at this living person inside of you, you know, then it really hits you that they, that it needs you, you know. And yes, if I called it an it, then it have a name. <laughs> um, and I remember leaning up against the clinic wall and the clinic worker told me like, we can make this quick. We can make this easy. And I was so scared, but something I did, I was always a very long decision maker there. I mean, if I needed to go buy a toaster, I would like research toasters for like a week to find like, the best one. I'm like, okay, so I'm not, you're not going to pressure me on the spot to do anything like at the right. You know? uh, so I, I, I took my time. I was like, I'm scared. And I didn't want to feel rushed. And they were trying to rush me. They were trying to rush me. So I got out of there and I told the dad, I said, you know, we had had that phone call. I had called him. I told him 
and you know he knew and what did he um, say? what what was his reaction what did he say well he kind of had a feeling he was like i know why you're calling i mean to not call <laughs> for a month and then call after a month he goes i kind of i kind of know why you're calling why me. you're calling me um and i'm like of course you knew you're like you're the one that got me pregnant um so it's like all these feelings of like anger mixed in with like you jerk um to how could you do this to me but then at the same time, it was like, well, I needed him. Like, I needed to tell mm-hmm. him what was going on, and I was going to make this decision. So when I – and he was cool with whatever. was like, whatever I chose. If I wanted to abort, he was cool with it. And when I changed my mind and I had my friend drive me to his house, um, I said, I can't go through with it. And he goes, yeah, it does feel wrong. So – there I am on his parents' kitchen floor, bawling my eyes out, and I was like, I can't go through with it. I can't. I gotta reschedule this appointment. I was gonna reschedule, <laughs> thinking it, but I never went back. I never went back. And he offered me a beer. <laughs> Here I am, six weeks pregnant. I'm like, I'll take the beer, please. <laughs> Give me the beer. Give me the beer. <laughs> I am bawling my eyes out. My life's <laughs> over. And who's this guy that I don't really want you around me, but you're around me. And um, you know, I didn't want to ever talk to you again. And, and so we told his parents, you know, and we told my parents. And um, some of the reactions, the unsolicited advice we got were kind of what Abby talked to at the beginning of the podcast, you know, um, this whole idea of in order to be successful, you need to be a family unit and you need to be married and to have a baby. And, you know, I remember telling him in the car on the way to tell my parents that, you know, um, I'll do this without you. Like I knew what I was in for. I, did, I didn't nobody wants to be a single parent. But I knew that when, when I saw that ultrasound picture that I could not, I could not do that. I could not end his life. I could not do that. Out of, you know, whatever fears that I had, I just had to push those aside. And I told him, I said, I'll parent, you know, on my own. I don't, you know, we don't have to date. We don't have to pretend to date. <laughs> um, and he said, well, I want to be a part of it. You know, he it was a new experience for him. And I think once we got on board, I mean, thankfully he wasn't one of those types that was like, no, you have to end it. I will make sure of it. You know? Um, I think we were just both very young and very just, okay, this has happened. You know, um, we're going to ride this as long as we can, I guess, together. We attempted to, um, he did have some addiction issues and it was, it was pretty bad. Like, um, so back to the unsolicited advice, his mom said, y'all should move in together. You know, my parents said, are y'all going to get married? You know, of course we were adamant. We were like, no, we're not going to marry because of the baby. <laughs> um, but but I think that is the, I think that sort of is the assumption. Yeah, like that's the assumption. Well, you, you did this. And mm-hmm. so you liked each other enough to make a baby, make a baby. Yeah. So you're going to like each other enough to get married. And that's not how marriage was intended. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I've told people before, sex is easy. Marriage is hard. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want to make a, um, you know, a a decision, a very permanent decision like marriage based on um, something that at the time you thought was temporary. Exactly. And I mean, he was not a baptized Christian and, you know, um, said that he was on board, but I mean, we all know that actions speak louder than words. And I was very much alone throughout that whole pregnancy. And, um, 
you know, it, it was, looking back, it's kind of sad to see how many people mean well when they say that, when they say get married, when they say you all need to live together. Or I mean, it's like they're trying to kind of make, make it right. Quote unquote, but mm-hmm. we, um, yeah, I just pushed through. I was miserable. It was the worst experience ever. We did attempt to move in like five or six times together, but you know, I felt this sense of of worth in, and I didn't know where it came from at the time, but I know it came from Jesus. As in, this is my worth. Yes, I made this mistake, but no man should treat his girlfriend or his wife this way by not coming home at night, or by not showing up to doctor appointments, or and it was just miserable. I mean, I loved my pregnancy, but what I didn't love was not having the support, not having a husband behind you who was supportive. And I mean, he didn't have a job. I was a college student, you know? Um, so we were in this situation and our families were like, okay, let's get you further into this situation, into this mess, <laughs> you know? And so it ended up. This is that messy. Way. Let's make it messier. Let's make it messier. <laughs> and so we had the baby and I remember being in the hospital and um, to make a long story short, you know, there was one time, it was like right after I'd had him and it was that first night and the dad had left. He was not feeling so well and I was alone. I was just alone. He, he wasn't feeling well. Yeah, he wasn't yeah. feeling well. Bless his heart. <laughs> I know. <Yeah>. So, <laughs> the other day I was in the hospital getting hooked up for like for dehydration of throwing up stuff and Doug actually looked at me and went I sort of have a headache oh my I was like do you do you now do you really yeah it's gonna be worse when I slam your head against the wall (laughs) anyway sorry go ahead and so I mean you know there are women who do not have you know they are delivering alone you know in the in the in the hospital room I am grateful that even though we had our differences and you know we weren't married he was there in the room at the time of delivery but back to that night that first night I spent alone I was I was crying I was crying my eyes out I was like you know this overwhelming sense of responsibility um at this creature (laughs) you know he's your baby but then when you look at him for the first time you know when you're young and, and it, it wasn't something that you planned for, it's like, okay, do, do I have to take them home? Like nurses, are you going to come with me and help me please? Um, it was just, a, it's very overwhelming and um, it can be very traumatic, I think. Um, so I was crying that entire night, that first night, um, you know, just being alone in that room. And so fast forward, you know, we get married um, when he was five months old. I think he was five months old. Uh, no, about four months old, actually. Um, we got married, kind of, not shotgun wedding, but just he didn't want to be there. I could tell. And I, I remember before I walked down the aisle, I was like, why am I doing this? I want to turn back. I want to turn back. But I've already ordered the gifts. I've already, the cake's already here. Like, all, my friend is ready to sing. And everything in my body was screaming, no, 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 no. Yeah. And I'm sure for him as well. I mean, he did not have this exuberant joy that we were getting married. It was mm-hmm. like two people, these young kids whose families said, y'all should do this. You should do and, and mm-hmm. when and, I, and back to the, the pro-life aspect of it, um, while I was pregnant, um, I actually sought out a local pregnancy center. And it was called the, um, the Hope Center. I'm from Beaumont, Texas, and they did a phenomenal job. 
Um, you know, they provided material assistance. We did the earn while you learn. And I would make him go with me if I could. <laughs> it's like, you're going with me to these classes because we get double the diapers. Um, and so, you know, it was really, it was good in the fact that I had some material resources. I could earn those. And I didn't feel so alone after making that decision for life. But I remember that we were provided a counselor. And he said the same thing. He was like, y'all need to get married. You know, and so... You know, and one thing leads to another, and then, and I am not in any way condoning anyone's um, cheating, like them cheating on, on a woman. That is absolutely wrong. But I feel like if I had not gotten married to him, and he wouldn't have felt like forced, and that, that that wouldn't have happened to me. I wouldn't have been cheated on during my marriage. And so we were married for six weeks. He left on Father's Day, and um, by the grace of God, you know, we're in a place now where we're raising our son. You know, separate households, of course, but it's not. You know, I, I can talk to him and not get flustered. I can, you know, um, we can be in the same space together and it's not devastating. Um, but, I mean, that kind of trauma could have been avoided <laughs> if um, people hadn't told us over and over again, like, this is what you're supposed to do to right your wrong. You right. know what I mean? And so, um, you know, basically, ever since that day when he left and I've, I've been, you know, lived in multiple apartment homes, food stamps. Um, you know, just trying to, I graduated, I ended up graduating a lot later, but I pushed myself. I was like, if I do not graduate, you know, if I don't do this, like, how am I going to make it? And there's plenty of jobs out there where you don't need a degree. You know, I didn't know that, but I was just like, I've got to finish what I started. Well, it was your goal. Yes. And you wanted to finish. Yeah. You wanted wanted to finish my goal. So I, I did, I finished my goal, but it was very, it was very hard. And then you have this new baby and you don't have a husband and then they're gone, but they've moved on. <laughs> so that makes it very difficult too. It's like, you know, that whole aspect of step parenting and things like that. So, um, you know, I think what really kind of helped open my eyes is I was like constantly seeking knowledge. Like how can I raise this young man and not screw him up? <laughs> Yeah. And so um, when I moved to Austin, it was a turning point for us because I really wanted to get on my own feet. We were living at my grandmother's house. And, you know, I said, I really want to get on my own. I'm tired of living with family. You know, I mean, and that's another huge concern is is in order to be able to provide for yourself, you have to get out of that situation where you're dependent on others to provide for you. And so it's almost like this catch-22, like, okay, I've got, I, I need to rely on others so that I can finish through school or or finish my training, and then, you know, I'm going to start a job and, and go to work, and I need care for him in after-school care. Well, so I got this job in Austin, and I started um, started working here, and it wasn't until I, I was on my second job with the pro-life movement, it was at a pro-life nonprofit, that I really got connected with the pro-life community here. And I thought, wow, this is wonderful, I'm going to make so many new friends, and it's going to be awesome. But what I learned is, like, when you're a single parent, it can be very alienating because you're not in the group of, like, singles. Like, I can just go on a whim and just be able to go do something. And I'm not – and I I find myself relating more to parents, to moms, because it's like, okay, you get it. We're in the same – but we're making sandwiches in the morning. Because you're in a different stage of life. I mean, you're – Exactly. Yeah, on a completely different journey. Yeah. So I'm not because your life is not about you anymore. Exactly. Your life is about your child. Exactly. So, so yeah. I can't go to a club and stay out till like two in the morning and listen to jazz <laughs> music. Although I might like to. It's like I can't. I can't go do that. So I related more to the families. Yeah. But then there was always this uncomfortable like third wheel feeling when mm-hmm. I was there with their husbands and with their children. 
you know, and it took me a long time to realize like, you know, I don't, I don't have to have that third wheel feeling, but even in, in church, like I would go and I'd be the only one sitting just me and my son. And it's like, there's plenty of single programs. There's plenty of parenting programs, but there's no single parenting programs. Mm-hmm. And so for a long time, I just, I just really felt that, um, it wasn't until I joined the Catholic church and I started that whole process of seeking, like, you know, um, and trying to find my faith and trying to find something stable for my son, as far as like a faith that we both um, connect with. And when we did that, we started researching. And one of the steps you have to go through is to meet with an RCIA director because we were going to come into the faith. And I will never forget when I was telling him my story, he said, well, you're going to want an annulment. And I was thinking, but why? You know, my life's gone for Like, I'm never going to get married again. Like, I'm a single mom. I'll be a single mom, you know. But it was the first time that he, this director gave, said something that gave me hope. Like, he could see the future. He said, you're going to want an annulment. Not that you have to have one to come into the Catholic Church because you're already single. You're living in a state of grace. But you're going to want to have one because if you ever do want to get married to a Catholic man, he's going to want to know that you are free to marry if you are. So we need to go through that process. So it was right around the time that Pope Francis had uh, made a lot of changes, but unfortunately I didn't fall into those changes. So it took about two years to get this whole process of, was it sacramental? You know, were you baptized? Was he baptized? Which he wasn't. Um, And just disconnecting that. And, And that's kind of where I found that peace. Um, through that process. And I, I did give him the heads up so he would know it's not like these papers are after you or something. <laughs> and I gave him a call. I gave it down You're going to be served by a you're Catholic annulment Catholic server. server. <laughs> and he said, whatever you want to do, like, that's fine with you. Like, he was completely fine. He was already remarried anyway. So he was like, whatever you want to do. So I was just giving them the heads up, like, hey, I'm going to do this for me. Um, and then that's when I learned what marriage was everything on that paperwork like what was his family background like what was your family background like you know who went to church like how did you think about these things like about about uh, pro-life issues or about mm-hmm. raising children I'm like you never had these conversations right. like what are you talking about <laughs> so it wasn't until then where I started seeing like this is what a sacramental marriage looks like and obviously I wasn't in one so when I received that annulment paperwork I was just like oh so relieved, you know, but on the flip side of that coin, I feel like being a single mom in the pro-life movement, especially a Catholic one, you know, I feel like there's a lot of judgments that come from like that, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of sins that people do quickly forgiven that, you know, you don't see every day. My son is a walking version of my (laughs) sin. Yes, I had premarital sex. Yes. You know, like we were not married when I had him, I had a baby out of wedlock and he's like a walking version and so when I do go like there's some events I think it's uh young Catholic professionals or there's young adult groups it's like I if I bring my son it's like there's this feeling of shame even though they're not sitting there blaring their red you know Mm -hmm. flame eyes at me it's like you still feel that way like um that you had this you had this sin in your life and oh for you (laughs) but not like let's embrace it and let's um you know they don't know my they don't ask about my journey and so (laughs) you just want to look at them and be like you know you sin too yeah okay yeah Yeah. (laughs) exactly exactly. i mean we all sin but then but but it's not that your child was the sin 
No. Right? And that's that's where I think pro-lifers have to make a very clear distinction is that we all sin. We just sin differently. Mm-hmm. And I think that the distinction, particularly in the pro-life movement, needs to be that the child that comes from this relationship or whatever it was is never a sin Mm-mm, and no. always needs to be treated as a blessing. And, and they, because they never need to feel shame, No, they never you know? Um, and so I think that's an important piece too, um, is that we're always affirming these women for choosing life and, uh, you know, and why wouldn't they? Because they've been gifted with such a beautiful, it is beautiful. blessing. I mean, motherhood is beautiful. It's a lot of sacrifice, and then you have to do the job for two. It's like you're filling right. in for dad and mom. And I remember I went to CareNet about mm, three years ago. I was for work. I was running a, a booth there, and uh, one of the keynotes was Roland Warren, from previous president from the Father National Fatherhood Initiative. He's now at CareNet, but he was working at the National Fatherhood Initiative as the president. And he gave his keynote, and I just remember, you know how one thing will stick out at you? And I just remember him saying, you know, providing a father for a child is just, it's the best thing. you can. I, I just remember I was furious. I was like, how dare he? Like, <laughs> I'm going to go up and talk to him afterwards. I don't need no man. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> I went up to him and said, do you not know that there's single parents out here that cannot, what do you suggest? We, and, he, and then that's when he shared because I think he didn't, normally he'll talk about his testimony. I think in this keynote, he didn't touch on it so much. But he said, you know, my mother, who was a single mom, ingrained in me all the time. Don't get her pregnant. Don't do this. Don't have premarital sex. And what did I do? I had a baby out of wedlock, you know, and he, with my girlfriend at the time. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. And he said, but what you have to do and what I did not have is I did not have those male role models in my life. So she could tell me all day long, don't do this, don't do this. But I never saw what not to do. I never saw an example of a godly man and a godly relationship. And I just, this light bulb went off in my head. Like, oh, yeah. Because I had been talking to my son about, you know, when you get married someday and, you know, treat your wife this way. And marriage is one time with the right person and forever. And trying to instill in him those values that hadn't been taught to me. Mm -hmm. And so when he told me that. I immediately left there and was like, okay, let's look into the Big Brother Mentor System. There's an organization called Big Brothers Big Sisters, and they provide mentors for children that are growing up in fatherless homes, you know, or vice versa, you know, single father that's raising a kid, you know. They provide mentors, and you can specify whether you want it to be a female or male. He was on the waiting list for about a year, and then he got matched. So that's what they, they match you. Um and it was a great experience. Um, you can specify if you want, you know, a certain denomination. Um, we had just put Christian on there. It didn't matter to us. He ended up being Catholic. So it was a great experience. But I remember taking those nuggets of information and trying to make sure that my son could see male role models and their husband role. And shortly after that, um, I, was, I started connecting with some of my married mom friends. Hey, mm-hmm. could we come over, you know, and just have tea or mm-hmm. hang out just so that my son could be around these other husbands that are living it out. And, and it's really funny as we started doing more and more of that, um, there was this one time at church 
we were walking up to church and he said, you know, mom, one day you're going to have a husband the way that, um, you know, so-and-so had, I won't say their names, but the way so-and-so um, has that leader for their home. And I thought, how did he even realize that? Number one, that he was a leader. And number two, that like, that I even wanted that. But as he started getting around more godly men, he started seeing, okay, this is the role that they take on. They provide for their families. They, you know, they're in it for the long haul through sickness and health, you know. Um, so that's kind of my experience in the pro-life movement and just trying to connect with people that can give me good advice and also to try to find where I fit um, as a single parent in the pro-life community. You know, I was a day captain with 40 Days for Life. Um, a couple years back, and um, that was a really positive experience. You know, my son and I were praying in front of the abortion clinics and um, just trying to teach him and instill in him these are the values that are important to have, you know, because nobody else is going to do it, right? And so we have to, as mothers, we do that. And I think another thing that's not talked about a lot is um, the exhaustion that comes through it, you know, because I think often as mothers we have to provide, as single mothers we have to provide, and, you know, we can layer on makeup all day long, make ourselves look presentable, put on a nice outfit or, um, but it's at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day when, you know, you don't have any makeup on or you're at home and it's not, you know, it's not what you see on Pinterest or Facebook of like, this is my happy, joyful life. It's, it's the nitty gritty. It's you're tired. You're taking out the trash. You're loading the dishwasher for the third time that week, you know, cause you had to cook and clean and do everything and there's no energy. And so sometimes you think like, well, God, did you forget about me? You know, you think like, and I believe me, I've asked all of those questions. I've asked and asked and asked, but I think, you know, as I've grown through this journey it's, it's not so much that he doesn't forget about his children. It's that there's things that we need to learn. You know, there's things that we need to learn and we need to be receptive. And um, so that's really kind of where I'm at in my journey now is just kind of learning and going through that and trying not so much to blame, you know, God for my situation. You know, obviously, like I made a decision, but then also not to be, um, not to take it for granted. Like, I'm very grateful I have this beautiful, healthy young son. You have a son, too. And um, so we're, we're blessed. And we have to remember that blessing and remember that our kids will see the sacrifices that we make for them. Yeah, they'll notice that. So Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, Monica, share a little bit about your journey. You are married. Uh, I am married now. Now. Um, but... Share, you've got a good story with your son finding out you're pregnant and all that. So share a little bit about that. Yeah, well, um, okay, get Laura, closer. Laura's a little bit different from you. I was quite the wild woman, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I, had, I was uh, definitely bought into the whole independent, free woman, do as you please kind of thing and don't feel guilty about it. And I lived that lifestyle uh, in college. Not so much in high school, but when I came to college here in Austin at UT. Um, and, and so really, you know, uh, unfortunately, I'm not proud of it at all. Um, but I was just definitely a woman who was playing the field kind of thing. Um, and at some point, um, I had already graduated college. I had a job. I was in my uh, mid-20s. And I just decided, you know what, I think I just want to settle down. 
Um, but I had no idea what that really meant. I had no idea what kind of man I should settle down with. Um, and really in my mind, it wasn't really about marriage. It was just about, mm, you know, I think I just want one person. Um, and so first nice guy that came around, um, I was like, okay, I like him. I think this, this is okay. Uh, I seriously was that, uh, superficial. <laughs> so, uh, two years later I found myself pregnant. Um, and, uh, just like you, Laura, my automatic thought was have an abortion. Um, mm -hmm. I had friends in college who had had abortions. It was the automatic thought. It was, this is what you do when you get pregnant and you didn't really mean for that to happen. Um, so I immediately scheduled the abortion. Um, at the same time though, I, there was just something in me that felt like I needed emotional support. Um, and so I called a friend, an old friend of mine from college um, and she um, was married and, and had a, a child at the time. And, um, but I had gone with her to get her abortion in college. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out to her, not, uh, you know, I don't know why I reached out, to be honest. I just wanted to tell her I was having an abortion. I don't know why, but I just did. So um, as soon as I told her I was pregnant, she started celebrating on the phone not saying, hey, congratulations, just more like, oh, my goodness, what if it's a boy? What if, you know, she started mm -hmm. imagining what he was like, and I kept saying, listen, I'm, I already have the abortion scheduled. She's like, whatever. Oh, my gosh, what if it's a girl? A little Moniquita. Oh, my gosh. And she just kept going <laughs> on and on and on. And she was just imagining our children growing up together, imagining mm -hmm. what my baby's personality would be like, that she'd be a spitfire like me if I had a girl, and how handsome he would be if it was a boy. And as she kept, you know, I couldn't shut her up, so I just let her talk. <laughs> and, um, but as she was doing that, I started asking myself, well, why am I having this abortion? Mm -hmm. And I, you know, just moved in with my boyfriend. My parents disowned me because that's just not what you do. Um, and I was always a very independent person, so I was like, well... I'm going to let you know what I'm doing, do what you feel like doing, disown me, fine, but I'm still doing what I want to do. Um, but I thought, you know, they're already mad at me. They've already disowned me for moving in with my boyfriend. Can you, I can't even imagine how angry they're going to be for me to tell them I'm having a baby at this guy. And then it just hit me. And I said, am I really going to kill my baby because my parents are going to be mad at me? And that just didn't make any sense. And, and it was the first time that I realized I was killing my baby. I didn't really think about that when I scheduled the abortion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's because my friend humanized my baby mm -hmm. that all of a sudden I realized what I was doing. And so I told my friend, I said, you're right. I'm going to cancel that abortion. She's like, oh, of course you are. And then she just kept you wow. know, imagining my baby again. Um, and I was like, listen, I got to get off the phone. I need to cancel this abortion. <laughs> so... Um, so I did, I, I called and canceled the abortion and called the father of my baby and said, you know, I'm going to keep the baby. And, uh, and his response, even when I found out I was pregnant was, you know, you decide what you want to do and I'll support whatever. So he didn't yes, want to make, he didn't want to make a decision either way, obviously. Um, but he did say, listen, um, you, you have to be sure that you want this baby because when I tell my mom, she'll be excited and you can't turn around wow. and abort it oh <laughs> after that because wow. it'll kill her. Um, but I was very determined. I was like, no, I'm going to have this baby. 
I actually chose not to tell my parents about the baby um, for the first three months, the first trimester. Wow. And then part of it was because I went to my appointment and I was told, you know, the first trimester is very kind of a delicate time. So I figured, you know what, I'm going to enjoy my first trimester. I'm going to be stress-free. And so I didn't tell. Um, but I also reached out to a pregnancy resource center. Mm. So, um, and I don't remember the name of it, but Abby, you might know who they are because it was part of the Catholic Church across the street from the University of Texas in Austin. Oh. I don't know the name of it, though. I don't but, know. Um, but that was the only one. I don't, I don't remember how I looked it up, because back then I don't think yeah. there was internet or anything. <laughs> no. Yeah, so I don't like, know how I found yellow it. Pages. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how I found it, but I did. I made an appointment. I walked in there, and the girl started asking me questions like, do you have insurance? You know, what about finances and this and that. I'm like, okay, well, I have a, I have a full-time job and I have health insurance and I have a place to live. And I, you know, she yeah. was just like, wow, you're the easiest client I've <laughs> ever had, you know? And, and really I just, I never saw that pregnancy center again, but what they did for me was they gave me the confidence that I was ready, mm-hmm. that I had what I needed mm-hmm. and that I could do this because I needed someone to talk to Cause my mom, I mean, I wasn't going to be able to talk to my mom or anyone else and all my friends were still single. So, um, so that gave me the confidence. I knew I had what I needed and I moved forward. Um, three months later, I called my mom and, um, let her know. And she, of course, was very, very angry. Uh, and she said a lot of things that I knew she regrets. Um, but I did a set a boundary with her and I said, you're not allowed to call me again until you have something to say that would be a blessing. And when you're ready to bless me. And, and not the search, you know, not the circumstance, but it, uh, but you cannot call me and say anything mean anymore. Mm-hmm. And when you're ready to do that, you can call. Mm-hmm. And it didn't take her too long. Um, but that was set because I had decided I was having this baby and I was going to be happy. And I had the best pregnancy ever. I wasn't sick. Um, I, I really had no problems. I ate Indian food for lunch every <laughs> single day. My son today is like, this is, I must like Indian food because of you, you know. <laughs> We love Indian food. Um, and I just had the best pregnancy, and I love every minute of being pregnant. And he loves to hear this, but when he would move inside, it would make me giggle. I would laugh. And so I tell my son, like, you were tickling me from the inside. And he, did, awesome. he loved that. But he really did. Every time we moved, I would just smile and laugh. And I loved him. I loved him. The moment I decided I was going to have him, I became a protective and loving mother. And I just, I just have always, and it's never changed, never changed. So, um, I would say that about the eighth month, uh, I think it was the eighth month. I don't remember, you know, I started buying baby books and things like that and started wanting to read to my son, uh, before he was born. And that's when his dad started to change because it was becoming a reality that Mm -hmm. this was really a baby and it was really coming. And I remember I was in bed before we went to bed. And I said, let's read to the baby. And he completely freaked out on me. And I ran out of the bedroom and into the living room crying. And I remember reading uh, Good Night Moon. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm reading to my son. Mm -hmm. And I read that book to my son as often as I wanted to, whether he wanted to do it or not, Mm because I was his mother. And I wasn't going to hold anything back from that child. and so the days went on, and he got a little worse, meaning the father did. 
Um, he hung on as long as he could, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, things were not very good. I'm pretty sure he was cheating quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And he was a bartender as well. And so he really wanted that lifestyle. Um, and at some point, I was suffering through quite a bit of depression after the birth of my son. And I was not a Christian. And I started seeking out a lot of new age type things because I didn't know what to go to. Mm-hmm. And I was a very hard hearted person before my son. So mm-hmm. I was also an anti-Jesus person. I don't know why, but I was. Um, anyway, I experimented with a lot of different new age things, Reiki, all kinds of things. And I felt God calling me and it was confusing and I thought I was going crazy. But I realized that God was reaching out to me and protecting me from all the things I was trying to get involved in. Mm -hmm. And when I realized it was Jesus calling me, I went to the first church that I knew of. And and I went to this church and I got saved. And I came back to the house where my son's father was. And I said, you know, I think I just got saved. Um, and, and I did, I mean, I did, but I didn't know what that word meant. Right. And, um, and so anyway, like nobody know, rushed in and like gave you a trophy or right, like a ribbon yeah, or anything. So you're like, I think that just happened. I think that's yeah. what I just did. So I was afraid it didn't stick. So every time I went to church, <laughs> I would always pray the prayer again. You know, the first time I went down the altar or whatever, but the, every time I'd go, okay, I'm going to pray it again because I'm not sure it stuck. <laughs> you know, like I'll make sure this sticks. But as soon as I accepted Christ, I kept going to church with my son. And about a year later, um, in that first year of being a Christian, even I am's father just got worse and worse mm. and worse. And I believe that God was really calling him to become a family with us, but he chose a different way. And he even said that he said, I know what God wants me to do, but I don't want to do it. Mm. So he left. Um, and of course I was devastated. And, um, but the weird thing is, is that as I took my son to the park, like I always did and did all the things that I did with my son and I was crying because I was so aware that I was alone. One day I thought nothing's really changed because he never went to the park with us anyway. (laughs) He didn't do any of these family things with us anyway. Nothing has changed except for the reality that I know he's really gone. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it took a long time, but I healed and I healed and um, my priority became my son. Mm -hmm. He had to come first. And I do remember one night, and I've told my son about this as well. He was two years old when his father left. And uh, I put him to bed and I went to the living room where I would cry yeah. <laughs> after putting him to bed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I heard, it's going to sound crazy, but I heard this voice that said, listen, all you got to do is go to the bar, get some cigarettes, order a pitcher of beer and hustle some pool. And you're going to be fine. Like you always have been. And my tears just dried up. And I thought, what the heck? Cause that's what I used to do. Cause mm-hmm. I was a tough, wild girl. And I thought about Ibrahim in his crib, and and then I heard God say, or you can stay with me, but with me, you're going to cry. Mm-hmm. And I chose to cry, and I chose to be vulnerable. And God really started to teach me how to be a vulnerable woman and how to depend on him for strength. And that is probably the most, not probably, that is the most free I have ever felt. This uh, myth of being free 
uh, promiscuous, living a, this life that, um, I guess, doing all the, the wrong things, uh, but yet the world saying that they're all the right things, were a burden to me. And it was actually enslaving me. But when I came to Christ and I let it go, I finally felt freedom and I felt stronger than ever. And it was great. And it allowed me to love my son the way he needed to be loved. Um, and similar to your story, Laura, I also needed to learn what godly families look like and what a godly marriage looked like. And and that was a big part of it. It's just realizing that um, through my singleness, if I would meet men, I kept meeting men who were not following Christ. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I'm obviously attracting the wrong guy, and I'm being attra- and I'm attracted to the wrong guy. So uh, one of the biggest blessings I ever had was going to a Bible study, a home Bible study with a lot of married couples. Instead of choosing the singles group, I went to a Bible study with married couples, and and that was the best thing because I really got to see mature Christian marriages, and. and they didn't necessarily teach me about marriage, like had a lesson, but mm-hmm. just watching them was just enough. Just watching them make sense. Watching yeah. them made a lot of sense. So that was incredibly helpful for me. And at some point I did admit to them, I need to know if I want to be a, have a godly marriage and I want to be a godly wife, I need to know what a godly husband looks like. Mm-hmm. So one of the women did take me in and, um, and I met with her for about a month where we went through a book and talked about marriage and what a godly awesome. man would look like. And, and really also... It's not all about me getting what I wanted, but that I need to be a godly wife. Mm-hmm. You know, what was I going to get? Exactly. So, so that's um, the growing part. Of that it. was the like growing, growing part. The, the yeah. Great. There's grace and suffering and growing. Right. So it took nine years. I was, <laughs> I was a single mom for nine years. Um, but it was, it, it was a great study, and that was very helpful. And another time, God really opened my eyes. Um, is, you know, a lot of my wildness had a lot to do with, a lot of my own pain and abuse mm-hmm. when I was a young girl. And, um, and it's just how it, how that, all that sin and all that trauma manifested itself. And so, um, one day I was running, I was jogging at town Lake hoping, you know, you're always hoping, am I going to meet him at the gas station? Am I going to meet him while I'm jogging? <laughs> Is he going to be at the grocery store? It was just pathetic, you know, but, uh, I was just constantly looking and I finally got tired and I sat on the bench. I said, God, how am I going to know? That it's him. And he answered me again. And he said, he's going to have my eyes. And of course, I was, took that way too literally. I'm like, I don't know what your eyes look like. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and it, so, you know, he's so patient. And he said, uh, he's going to see you with my eyes. And I think that goes back to the shame. Is that knowing that I had all this shame about my past. Mm-hmm. Not just the abuse that I was tainted as a little girl. But then all the things that I chose to do myself when I was in college. And then the shame of being a single mom as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when he said that, I realized that, you know, God, when he, we accept him as our Savior and he removes our sins, he now sees us clean and white as mm-hmm. snow. We're yeah, completely pure to him. Yeah. So I understood what he was saying is that this man that's going to love you is going to see you the way I see you. He's not going to see your past. He's going to see you today. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he's going to know my past. You know? Right. And so that, that was really important to me. And But the other thing he said was, but I need you to start seeing yourself with my eyes too. Because I didn't have any worth. I didn't have any self-worth. Um, and so that I think that was more difficult than anything was to start accepting 
that I had value in God, uh, that I was valuable, that I didn't have to feel ashamed because I had a God who was my father, my redeemer, my husband. It's all in Isaiah 54. I've been completely redeemed and he will never leave me or forsake me. And that he's my protector. And so Isaiah 54 was, is still, a, a, but especially as a single mom, a chapter that ministered to me so much. And I've shared that chapter with so many single moms because it really establishes his recognition that we've been abandoned, that we've been hurt, um, that he may have turned himself from us for a moment, but that he is now with us forever. Um, and uh, just in the same covenant that he gave Noah, you know, that this would never happen again and he'll never leave us. So that was really important to me. And, um, and lo and behold, one day I was leading a singles ministry at my church, um, ministering and having social events with other single parents when my future husband walked in and uh, he came in with a big smile on his face and his eyes smiling. Just, I, I still remember that look on his face and I, and I turned away cause I thought, well, I'm a, I'm the leader of this group. I can't be looking at these men. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, like, I feel like a predator. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, he, um, my son and I had been praying for the kind of man that I wanted. And I asked Ibri, okay, what kind of stepfather do you want? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, mine, God really over those years helped me refine what I wanted in a man to his character. Mm-hmm. And not to worry so much about the superficial, but is this going to be a lasting marriage? And is he going to love my son as his own blood? And that was part of my prayer that he needs to love my son as his very own blood, mm-hmm. as if he was his very own, mm-hmm. that he was a family man, that he was creative. I mean, just all kinds of things. And Ebre wanted someone who was a comedian, an inventor <laughs> uh, that hugged and kissed and made him laugh all the time. You know? Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, that's great. So um, Jeff and I started dating. Ibri didn't know. I was always protective of Ibri to not be involved in people that I dated. Um, but about eight months later, and he kind of knew Ibri just because we all went to the same church. So right. single lunches, they met. Yes. But he okay. had no idea that we we're dating. But at some point, we got serious and so decided to let Ibri know and, and all spend time together. And after our second meeting with Jeff, I think we went to the lake or something, we were driving away from Lago Vista back to Cedar Park, and he said, Mom, he pretty much has everything we pray for. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Avery, we're just friends. And I kind of freaked out. <laughs> and from the back seat, he said, Mom, calm down. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, it doesn't mean you're going to get married right now. So it was so weird that he was just so rational at that moment, but... About a year later, um, Avery actually asked Jeff during dinner, he's like, when are you going to propose to my mom? You know, he was just so ready. Um, and we did. We got married pretty quickly after that. Uh, I think that the very next weekend, Jeff proposed, and we were married just a few months later because there was no reason to wait. I'm like, why wait? We're ready. <laughs> so, but, um, so how did you handle those times, like maybe where you felt like, you know, your faith was strong. Do you ever have those moments where your faith is super strong and you're like, okay, God, I'm on board. Like you're my provider. And then there's times where you're filled like moments of weakness. Like, so the moments of weakness, I remember them. It's like, I can even imagine them. Um, a lot of time on the carpet with my face in the carpet, just crying, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and just, I think what was helpful for me was to read the Bible 
and to then pray the verses that I knew were true. You are my provider. You will never leave me or forsake me. But I was also very real with God. I mean, there were times where I got really mad at him. And I remember one of the ladies that was ministering to me said, believe me, honey, your anger is not too big for God. Like, he's going to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were times I was very real. And I said, you know, I know you're here. I know you're with me. I know you're providing for me. But I need some flesh right now. I need someone to hug me right now. Yeah. I need someone to wipe yeah. my tears right now. I need someone to carry this burden because... You know what? I'm not meant to carry this burden by myself. It's not the way you meant it to be. And and I knew that. So I prayed for a spiritual leader. I prayed for a man who was smarter than me, stronger than me, committed to the Lord. It was important to me because I'm such a strong woman and I have a strong personality that I knew that if I had a weak man in my life, I'd walk all over him and I'd never respect him. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted a spiritual leader. I wanted a man. And I was willing to wait as long as possible because there was no way that I was going to sacrifice myself and especially my son to someone who would be weak. Isn't that interesting? Like how he changes our hearts. Oh yeah. And there was no way I wanted a weak man in my life. Um, And so I I think that we could do a whole podcast on that too. But like, I think that too is an important point is that, Your desires begin to change as you grow closer and closer to the Lord. So, I mean, I didn't even say this in Doug and I. Doug and I have been married 12 years. But um, the first, I don't know, the first, you know, four or five years of our marriage, it was me being a leader. It was me being in charge. I wore the pants, I made the decisions, and I wanted him to be the weaker spouse. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be the stronger spouse. I wanted him to be the weaker spouse because I wanted to be in charge. And, And I thought that's what made me a strong woman. Right. Was being in charge of my marriage. It wasn't until I left Planned Parenthood that... And, and really became, really developed a relationship with God, that I realized that that was not, that was not how God wanted me to be at all, was that I can still be strong, mm-hmm. and I can, I can still have a very independent personality, and I still do. It's not that that changed, but that when Doug leads our family, our family is stronger. Right. And, and but that was a whole different, that was a a different shift. And I think I talk to a lot of women who are single moms and I think that that can be a trap that they tend to fall into um, because they are the leader of their family. Mm -hmm. And so they forget that what they're actually looking for is someone to lead them. Yes. (laughs) Right. Um, And so I I think that that's, it's just interesting you bring that up because I think that that's a, um, an important thing, even for single moms who are listening today, is that God doesn't is God does not mean for you to be the leader of your home. Okay. You you are right now by necessity, right? But God wants you to look for someone who will lead you, mm-hmm. so that you can relinquish that role. Yeah. And it's such a relief to be able to relinquish that role. And you're right. I mean, in my marriage, 
I, I believe that Jeff loves that I have such a strong personality. Sure. And there's still moments where, you know, I recognize <laughs> that I need to shut up at some point. <laughs> like, if I can just keep going. Um, and, and, it's, it's, and it's me realizing that. But, you know, Jeff loves that about me. He loves that I am strong. He loves that characteristic that I can hold my own. But it definitely, he also loves, and I do too, that I know that I, that there is a a healthy submission to his leadership and things really do, even though it's hard for me, I'll admit it. I recognize it. I see God's leading where I need to step down a little bit. And I don't know if it's step down or step aside or take a pause or whatever you want to call it. But when I allow my husband to lead, things are so much better in the family. My son is better. I'm better. It, it, yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it is, God is right. <laughs> he yeah. knows what he's doing. Um, but, but as a single mom, you know, um, I did a lot of things for Ebri. And, and maybe I did, I did feel shame and I felt alone a lot, especially like when he joined Boy Scouts, you know, and all mm-hmm. the dads are around and, mm-hmm. and I'm there, you know, but, but at the same time, I was proud to be there for him because his father was absent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was okay with that. You know, some of my friends would say, well, you should make him see him. I'm like, why? I mean, he's a bad influence. He doesn't take care of him. Um, he does, he obviously doesn't want to see him. So why am I going to force him to do it? Um, so, but for me, I got to see all of Debris firsts and, you know, his first snow. And, um, I know, I knew what made him scared and I knew what made him happy. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I knew everything about him. Even the other day, Debris like, mom, how did you teach me that piece standing up? I'm like, (laughs) you know a proud moment for me. That was a proud moment. I like I knew that you needed to pee standing up before you went to school. <laughs> that was important for me. And uh and I'll never forget that because it that was important to teach him those things and um and to learn from God what I needed to teach this young boy about being a boy and about becoming a man. And um and in my situation, you know, he luckily was, you know, we have Jeff in his life now that, that teaches him a lot and shows him an example, but you're perfectly right. You know, you surround yourself with, mar- you know, godly marriages where your son gets to see that. See, I had, I had to create that because right. you do have to, create because that. I mean, if you look at all my past, you know, friendships and relationships, I mean, I had no one to compare that to, Right. you know, so it's almost like I had to go seek that out. Like, well, and then it started to happen organically, right? Mm-hmm. Because then you get connected to one godly couple at church, and then they know mm-hmm. another couple at church. And I think and- you need to be prayerful about that, too. Being prayerful about the friends, asking God. Because he will show bring me, them. Yeah, bring the right friends, bring the right examples into my family for mm-hmm. my son. Um, and he And he's faithful to do it. He's very faithful mm-hmm. to do it because there's, you know, some people you don't want around your son. Yeah. <laughs> so whether they're Christian or not. Um, but, but just pertaining to a godly marriage. Like I have friends that are not believers. Mm-hmm. You know, I have friends that are atheists and agnostic. And, you know, it, it's not so you can still have those friendships. But as far as like being able to provide that relationship for your son to see, like, this is what it looks like in the context of a marriage, mm-hmm. you know. And I think another thing that I want to be sure to, to say is to talk about um, breaking those bonds. It wasn't until I came into the Catholic Church that I learned about 
prayers for generational healing. Mm-hmm. So I started looking back at my family tree and seeing these repetitive things like, you know, alcoholism or divorce or, um, you know, just all these things or underage pregnancy, teenage pregnancy. I did the same and, thing. And so yeah. praying over your child, mm-hmm. like let it end with me. And um, there's some great priests in my life, like Father Francisco, um, who will teach you, and there's even prayer you can Google, um, to break those chains, those bonds, and just put it at the foot of the cross and just renounce those, renounce those generational sins so that they don't, so that this pattern doesn't continue. Right. Because if you're raising a child and all they see is mom wears the pants, she's, the, you know, they're going to go out and seek, you know, to be with a woman that is like that, whether they mean to or not, mm-hmm. you know, and then it creates this tension between the man and the woman. Um, so it's just like we have to be vigilant and we have to be prayerful, like you said. I think another thing, um, I, I did the same thing. I prayed against some generational curses, um, both on my side and, and his father's side of the family. Um, but also with our exhaustion, and mm-hmm. really exhaustion in any family, but especially for single moms, is um, being really careful not to let others teach your children. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, mm-hmm. You need to be selective. You need to educate yourself. So just because you're a single mom raising a boy doesn't mean that you can't talk to your boy about sex education. Get you know information about abstinence and sexual risk avoidance and educate yourself because you do not need to be allowing other people to teach your son that. You can do it as the mother. I've done that with Ebre since he was little. And I taught him, you know, at some point when I knew he could take a shower by himself, which was probably about five or six. And what I mean was, you know, so he wouldn't slip or anything on his own. So what I would do is, you know, I started teaching him about privacy. And I told him, you know, it's important now that you're getting older, that you know that this is your private body. Now, if something is wrong and something hurts, you can give me permission Mm -hmm. to look for you. Yeah. You know, but otherwise I don't need to see you naked anymore because you can yeah. do this on your own. So he asked, well, can you help me in the tub? Cause I don't want to slip. Sure. Cause he was little. So I'd pick him up, put him in the tub, he'd take a shower. And then after he was done with the shower, he'd call me and I'd wrap him in a towel and I'd call him my taco, which he loved. So I was like, oh, I'm going to eat you. And he'd love that. And then I would leave him in the bathroom to let him dry himself. And I, and I would let him know this is, no one should look at your body but you, or you give me permission if something hurts. Mm-hmm. And so he knew that, you know, and, and and as he got older, we talked about more. And when Ibrahim said, okay, that's, you know, in his little heart, he'd say, that's, that's more information. Even though I asked the question, that's more, you can stop now. <laughs> okay. And I would tell him that. All right, good. Tell me when to stop. Tell me when it's enough information. He's 17 years old and he still asks me questions wow. today. Um, Because he has confidence in me because he knows I respect him and he knows I'm going to always tell him the truth. So just because you're a single mom raising a boy doesn't mean that you don't have what it takes to be able to teach your son about being a man, about abstaining from sex. Mm -hmm. Um, So many topics that some, some moms think, oh, no, only a man can say that to him or only a dad could teach him that. Well, no, he has you. And you have every right to teach your son those kind of things. Yeah. Well, and you should. You should. Yeah. Because if you don't, someone else will. Right. And you don't want that. And, and that may, they may not be yeah. hearing 
They may not be saying the things that you would want. Don't being put said. it on the coach. Don't say, ask the coach. Don't say, mm-hmm. ask the nurse. Don't say, no. Mom, it's your responsibility to teach your boys and your girls these things. So, um, yeah, don't pass it on. And I know we're tired. We do get tired. Uh, I was happy when Avery was old enough to wake up on a Saturday morning and open his own yogurt. <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah. you know, and, and he, you know, my favorite story is him walking in with his, you know, the little kids wear their little tight pajamas, those mm-hmm. cute little yeah. tight pajamas, their belly stick out and they're so cute. And he came in with a Darth Vader helmet and it changed his voice in the morning and, oh, and he asked me for some yogurt. <laughs> Mom, I have to have some yogurt. That's just hilarious. So I'm like, yeah, I get to sleep in a little longer. You put on the cartoons and eat a yogurt yeah. and, you know, and you're good. Yes. Um, you, we find ways to manage our money. Mm-hmm. We find, don't feel guilty. You know, I never had enough money to take Uber to main event. He always wanted to go to main event. And I would tell him this, listen, I have budgeted every month. I have $50 for entertainment because that's all I could have. If we go to main event, it's going to be gone. Or we can use that $50 to go to lunch with the single group, which had other kids every Sunday and probably go watch a movie and get some ice cream at least once this month. So which one do you want? And he would actually choose, okay, forget main event. And he would choose the Mm -hmm. other one because he's like, I'd rather do something every weekend. You know, so he was a part of that, and he he learned a lot from that. He learned about managing money and making priorities, um, and we still had a lot of fun. He, you know, now he's seventeen years old, and he is telling me about all those memories. And maybe I didn't feel as bad because I did grow up poor, so I knew that you know what, you don't need technology, you don't need all these fancy things. Um, I don't think kids need video games to survive. It's not a need. It's not food. Um, so I didn't feel guilty about any of that stuff, but I guess I taught him how to ride his bike. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. I taught him to swim, although he's not a very good swimmer, but, um, you know, so there's so much that we can do and moms don't feel guilty if you can't give them all the material things out there because what they really need and what my 17 year old is telling me today is that he's just really grateful that he can, that we're close and that he can speak to me about anything. Um, and then he has that confidence that I'm there for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so if at age five, he wanted to show me the Snoopy, I don't know, pencil that his teacher gave him, then that was a big deal to me because I knew that if I made a big deal about that important little pencil when he was five years old, mm-hmm. when he was a teenager, he would know that mom thinks whatever I'm interested in is important is important. And so he knows that today, that he can come to me about any of his interests and that I'm always going to be there to listen. So I think number one, single mom, just, it's easy to love your kids, but really just spend the time enjoying them. Um, even if you're tired, I know I'll admit when I put him to bed and I go lay down on my own bed, I'd have a panic attack and start crying because it was all that it took for me to work full time, pick him up, pay attention to him, make him <laughs> dinner, yeah. you know, and hold it together and then read to him and hold him and pry his little fingers off of my body because he didn't want me to leave his bed. Yeah. Um, and then finally get to my own bed to just cry. So I know what that feels like, um, but it's worth it. It's really worth it because that little boy or little girl that you have, they feel safe knowing 
that their mom is there, that they're consistent, that they love you. And so as you're laying in bed, maybe some nights crying and having a panic attack, <laughs> panic attack like I did, lay off the coffee. You know, sometimes I had to lay off the coffee in the morning so I could reduce those panic attacks. <laughs> but um, just know that that child is sleeping safely and that they know you're there. And that that is... Um, that's, at least it was enough for me to know that I did my job and it's okay and God has me and he's going to keep going and, and taking care of me every day. Yeah, I think that that's great. And and I think that, um, I mean, I'm married and I'm about to have seven kids, but I think all the time, like, people people ask me all the time, oh, I don't know how, I don't know how you do it, I don't know you know, how you work so much and travel and all this. And I'm like, because I have a husband who, who helps, right? I have a husband who stays at home. I have, I have that support. And, and always in my mind, I'm thinking, it's easy for me to do what I do because I have a partner to help me do it. What's really difficult is being a single mom. That like, that's what always pops in my head. And so I just have so much, um, love and respect for women who are willing to make that journey on their own, knowing that it's going to be challenging, knowing that there are going to be a lot of tears, um, and a lot of uncertainty. And, uh, but for me, it's like, I, I can't imagine doing what single parents do. People are like, I can't imagine doing what you do. No, what I do is easy because I have somebody to do it with me. Um, but, but trying to fill that role, um, to essentially be both parents to your child is, is just something that, um, it's hard for me to even imagine. So, I, uh, you know, if you are a single parent and you're listening to this, I just want to affirm you, um, and really thank you for making the sacrifices that you make. I I know that you sacrifice something for you probably every day of your life, um, so that your child can, can have, um, what they want and what they need. So, um, yeah. So this Mother's Day, I think all mothers are amazing and special and important. But I think um, somebody should rub your feet, single moms, on uh, on Mother's Day for sure, um, because you you definitely de- you definitely deserve it. And um, any final thoughts? You know, as you're mentioning that, and I'm thinking about Laura and. Um, I remember my first Mother's Day as a single mom, Mm -hmm. and I left church, and my son and I went to Fireball Cafe to have lunch. I love Fireball. Love it. (laughs) Um, And maybe this is why I love it. They used to sell um, dishes, little like Chinese-looking dishes Mm -hmm. at Fireball, and obviously they don't sell them anymore, so... When I went on Mother's Day, they were basically trying to get rid of them. Um, and so they actually wrapped them up in bows and gave them away oh. to moms. So I was all alone, no family. 
with my son on Mother's Day, feeling really low. And I went to Fireball Cafe, and that was my Mother's Day present. It was these bowls, and um, it actually meant a lot to me. And so I know that, um, yeah, I know what it feels like, Laura, to every Mother's Day you want someone to come and acknowledge you and yeah. <laughs> the things that you do and, and make it special for you. And um, But we find those special moments, you know, in the ordinary, don't we? We do. We kind of make that... Um, you know, just a picture that they drew or well, our sons are older now, but just, you know, just that time together, like go make your own moments, you make your own picnic or, you know, um, something special. It's not about the Hallmark store-bought stuff, but you know, that's what a lot of, that's what, it's kind of like looking at somebody's Facebook page that just got married or something, (laughs) you know, it's like, oh, well look, they're, you know, so-and-so's getting all these flowers and everything, you know, it's like, we want that because that's what is put in front of us on television and all those things. But exactly. but the thing that matters is, is just being with your family and knowing that, you know, you can make it through anything together and that you're teaching your child or your children, like this is how families, you know, make it through hard times. Yeah. Like, We're just yeah. looking into the eyes of your, of your children on mother's day and, and how they look up at you with admiration or or even if they hand you their trash, because, you know, that's what kids do, because moms <laughs> carry the trash. Yeah. But, you know, I could have not been a mom. Mm-hmm. I could have not had those little pudgy fingers giving me trash mm-hmm. um, or drinking my drink, and he still does that. Whatever I have, he wants to eat and drink. It's kind of weird. But they'll always be our kids, and that's what is Mother's Day. It's You're right. It's not... Hallmark, it's not the, you know, whatever the media makes it, it's about us loving our kids and seeing them look back at us knowing that they're confident that mom loves me. And that's, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want to say that if you know any moms or single moms out there, make sure you reach out to them on Mother's Day. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was just going to, you know, say that people, we have the opportunity to, um, to reach out to single moms in our lives and, you know, how can we help? Um, what can we do? Um, you know, send them a mother's day card or, you know, do yeah, I had a friend that did that for me and it was just so beautiful. I said, what is this for? It's not my birthday. Yet. What are you doing? <laughs> and like ever heard Christina, she would send me a mother's day card and I was just like, <laughs> yeah, so we have the opportunity to do that, and uh, we should, because we should show all moms um, that they are extraordinary and that they are valuable and that they are valued. Um, and so, you know, take the time to send a card. I mean, even if it's not on Mother's Day, just to send a card and say, hey, I see you. I see you working so hard and you're doing and a great job. You're doing a good job and here's a $25 gift card to Amazon, you know, or whatever it is. But, um, but just to acknowledge that you see these women in your life, um, that are maybe struggling or maybe, um, feeling alone or feeling isolated, um, that you see them and that they're, they're not alone and that there are people around them to, support them um when they need help so thank you both thank you for having us yeah and i just want to say one last thing is 
they do grow up. So it's very fleeting. And <laughs> That's so true. Even, even with all the tears and everything and the pain, you know, enjoy it now. Find, you know, even if it's hard to enjoy the hard times, um, they grow up. They do grow up. That's my, Alex just graduated from pre-K last night. Oh. And I was like, you can stop that. <laughs> um, cause I'm not prepared for my boys to turn older than five. So, um, anyway, so thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Laura and Monica, for being on the show. And um, we will talk to you again next week. And I will have had my twins by then. Thank you, Jesus. I feel like I've been pregnant for 80 months. Um, And so... uh, You might hear them in the background of the next podcast. So uh, anyway, thanks, everybody. Um, Hope everyone has a happy Mother's Day uh, or had a happy Mother's Day whenever this goes up. And um, we will talk to you soon.